Hi, I'm Jennifer Mulholland. And I'm Jeff Shuck. We're the co-leaders of Plenty. Thanks for joining our podcast, Plenty for Everyone. Each episode, we talk with conscious leaders like you to explore abundance in work and life, fulfillment in head and heart, and ways we can all work together to make this world a better place. Welcome everyone to Plenty for Everyone. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Jeff Shuck. I'm the co-leader of Plenty. I'm talking to you from Michigan City, Indiana. And with me as always is our other co-leader, Jennifer Mulholland. Hi, Jen. Hi, everybody. Calling in from Park City at Heart Space, our retreat center. A beautiful fall day here. Yeah, beautiful fall day here too. Lovely everywhere. And we are excited to share with you one of our really lifelong friends, which is really amazing. I think every podcast, I make some mention of how old I am. But joining us today is Mike Zener. And Mike and I have known each other for a long time. He has been engaged in the effort to help heal people with cancer for for a long time. And we'll talk a little bit, I hope, today about that story. Mike most currently is the executive director of philanthropy for the American Cancer Society of Illinois. And let me just set this tone. So the last time the three of us saw each other was in person in Bloomington, Illinois, in February, where we did a two-day culture workshop that we call Compass with Mike and his wonderful team of 100 people to fire them up for this transformative year. And the year has been transformative, <laughs> but not in the way that we thought it would be. So welcome, Mike. Oh man, it's great to see your face, buddy. It's great to see you guys too. Oh my gosh, Jeff. Yeah, no, that makes me feel old, man. Lifelong. And Jennifer, great to see you. And I remember the last time we were connecting, I was all giddy about skiing the, the powder day at Deer Valley. And that was again in February, just after we met. So yes. it's great to see you guys. And yes, executive director for Illinois. I skipped the philanthropy piece, but yes, there is a ton of philanthropy wrapped up all inside that, Jeff, for sure. Excellent. Well, where should we start? I mean, it is amazing to think Jen and I talk often about the experience in Bloomington, which was really, really lovely in so many ways. The team was fired up. The dialogue was about positive change and about making a difference together. And it was only two weeks, three weeks after that, that all of a sudden the world really shifted. And just curious, maybe let's just start, Mike, with what's, what's present. How does life find you right now? Where are you? How are you? man my son and i did a 35 mile bike ride yesterday or no sunday and that for an 11 year old kid to do that and without a lot of training i'll tell you for me as a dad that was a phenomenal experience and to watch his eyes light up and get outside and go and enjoy what fall has to offer for about five and a half hours that was that was a, a unique highlight in this environment that you mentioned we are in. Yeah, what an amazing time. There are there are calls that I have with our, our team that I sometimes reference back. Y'all remember February? And you know, eyes will light up and go, that feels like a year and a half ago, two years ago. I am good. We are all healthy here and 
still moving forward. It seems like we're moving faster. As my, my executive vice president at ACS says, you either wake up as a lion or a gazelle. <laughs> you can tell the story <laughs> after that. But we, we are, we're, fighting, we're fighting every day trying to do the good work to help those in need now more than ever. Maybe share, given that the speed at which things are changing in the context of the culture workshop and kind of setting this reinvigorating tone, what has changed? How is your environment different right now in terms of what are you dealing with? What are some of the issues that are surfaced, have surfaced in the last, let's say, six months since February that are occupying your attention, your time, your thought, your leadership, you know, what's bubbling up to the surface as you're kind of looking at all this change, this reset can only imagine with an organization with such an important mission and, and so many important people dedicating their lives to, you know, helping cure and treat and research cancer. What's surfacing for you in your role right now? Because the mission is so close to me and so many others, I would say the thing that is keeping me up at night or is alarming me the most, of course, is the pandemic. Of course, is society. Of course, the things that are happening that are trying to rip us all apart. But when I think about the core mission of what we are trying to accomplish and all the work that has been done leading up to having that wonderful workshop on February to where ACS or where I'm thinking today is how many people aren't getting screened, how that's going to impact mortality, how that's going to impact families' lives, how that impacts every single one of us that works together that was on that team that you met in February, how that's impacting each and every one of them. So from, from that and from how that shifts the way we are thinking today, how we are approaching the mission and how we are working together or how it is preventing us to stay together in a virtual environment or that's making it more, I would say not friction, but it's just, it's challenging. You know, we went out with a donor the other night and socially distanced, but it, it was beyond refreshing to look at a donor's eyes in the face and say, thank you. That's something I I know that myself and a lot of my colleagues are missing desperately. This is great to see you guys. Yeah, it's so great to see you. But you mentioned earlier, Jennifer, that seeing you at the heart space, having a glass of wine, bringing my best friend to sit with you and see you face to face and share in the joy of, of that retreat or that workshop we had and how excited I was and am. I still, am, of course, I'm excited for what we have in front of us to be able to accomplish. That's what's top of mind for me. And I know that I'm not alone. Well, it's so interesting that you mentioned that because how do we how do we overcome this wonderful tool that we all have, whether it's Zoom or Teams or you know, FaceTime, using technology to virtually connect? And yet, like, how do we participate in the energy exchange of the or endorphinive exchange or the connective that's it's hard to describe because I, I recall that time when we had a lovely connection in person and, and we left so elated or 
connected, you know, in a different way than, than we can sometimes over Zoom. And I think as leaders and as team members, it's really taking a concerted effort to be present with a tool of technology and to participate in that human-to-human exchange that feeds us, that helps us heal, that helps us hear and, and support one another. So it is interesting, especially with you leading such a large team and now so many people working from home in these islands that sometimes feel and can feel so disconnected that you know, we're, we're connecting people via technology, but, you know, people are feeling more disconnected than ever. And so love that you brought that up and maybe we can explore how do, how do we create more of that human to human connection, you know, in a time that we may be looking at this period for another year, you know, this may not be another like two months of virtual work. Well, I'd, I'd love to riff on that because I think w- there's been a lot of publicity around people who, you know, don't want to wear masks or don't want to practice social distancing or think the whole thing is a farce or, or whatever. And I, and I think that unfortunately has taken attention from the, the real, one of the real learnings is there's a limit to technology. And I think that's in, in the Pollyanna way that I look at things, I think that's a great lesson, <laughs> I, right? Like Jen and I talk every week with people, Mike, and, and, and I know this is true of you because we met with your team and you in, I think, early April when everyone has just gone virtual and you asked us to come back and talk with your team. And, and you know, in that early April, we were all Zoom 12 hours a day. Like, and Zoom's going to save us and Microsoft Teams is going to save us. And it's like, and then by mid-April, everyone kind of looked around and said, this sucks. You know, like, I can't, I can't pay attention. I don't know where to look. Like, nobody's looking at me. And it's kind of a weird blessing, but I do think that is such a great thing to come of this is like, well, you know, there's a limit to what you can actually do over the internet. And even my kids, who I would have told you a year ago could spend 23 hours a day online, even they're getting sick of it. And so I'm, I'm hopeful when I hear stories about, well, we actually met with a donor and we were so engaged because somewhere at the end of this or somewhere through this, I feel like there's a reemergence of what it actually means to be human in community. And and the care that we want to show each other and the information we get that's not just, you know, left brain logical information. It's something Jen and I talk about all the time and half the people we talk to about it think we're like woo woo, but, but everybody is, I hope learning. It's not all logic. It's not just a linear. You can't replace human connection with technology and think it's going to be the same. Jeff, you know how we, sometimes in the winter we have a vitamin D deficiency? You know, we don't get as much sun, it's, it's cloudy. I would ask you both to think about this because it's, you just made me think about this. I have a hug deficiency. I am a hugger and I really thrive or get empowered or get, gain energy from that just very simple embrace. So you think about it. I'm here alone. I'm, I'm single. I'm a single parent father. Thankfully, my ex-wife and her husband are my family. They're very close. So that is there, but I don't get a hug every day. 
And now when I used to get hugs from staff or friends or that's missing. And I, I know that I'm not alone, but think about just that one piece, the embrace and how important that is to share connection, to share emotion, to let others know you are there. The death, the tragedy, the sadness, the divisive nature, the way we speak to one another without speaking today, I truly believe it's very scary. And for those who are the touchy-feely, emotional, passionate side, you know, the right brain, maybe there's a little bit of left brain active still, but I miss that. And I, and I know that there are others, even on, on my team that have mentioned, man, the connectivity that you cannot replicate, that, that office environment, or even a meeting with, even a lunch meeting has with your, your team brings to the table and invigorates conversation and dialogue. I think one thing we can do that you kind of spark two thoughts. One is I'm noticing that like I can give hugs in my family. I'm, you know, four of us are living together, two kids and my husband, I'm the hugger. My daughter's a hugger. So like I would say 50% of my family is not but I'm finding a real interesting experiment with lying belly down on the grass and literally like grounding in the earth and feeling that when I can do that standing barefoot or just literally giving the ground a hug or getting embraced by the earth, there's a scientific term for it. It's called earthing. And it's ability to give our bodies the natural electrons to heal on its own. And there's an exchange of energy in similar form of human to human hug transfer. So it has been remarkable. The last two weeks I have been sick. I have not been feeling well. I've had uh, four COVID tests that it's been ruled out that I don't have COVID, but some other bug has flattened me. And I really have noticed a difference of getting that energy exchange, that fill up with the earth. And so there's that piece that you just sparked around that connection, what feeds us in human connection and our connection to earth. And the second point I'd love to just explore, maybe the three of us is we're using tools and we're using a technology to enable connection And there's pros and cons with it. And we don't have to go necessarily down that rabbit hole. But I think we're starving for a deeper way to know each other. And that can get fortified in the powerful question of care. As an example, you mentioned you have a connection to mission at ACS. What is your story? Would love to know. Would love to have our listeners here if you're comfortable why does ACS matter to you? Like, why does cancer matter to you? Because I think as we get to know beyond the intellect and into the personal, we start to hear our connections to what we care about. And in that place, we find community, we find connection. And that's the glue of your leadership at ACS. And it's certainly what Jeff and I witnessed at that at your, the workshop was just how many people have been impacted by cancer. 
lost loved ones and friends and are on the field to help make sure that that doesn't happen to others. And so what is your connection from that place and why does mission matter so much to you? Yeah, Jeff has heard this. Jeff and I share a commonality. We, as, as many do, but uh, we're part of a group that, that you know, you never want to be a part of. So my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was five. My mother's mother died of breast cancer before I was born. Before I was born, my dad's dad died of colon cancer. Moved forward four more years. My mom passed when I was nine from that disease, metastatic, both sides. So now we're talking 1982. The year after that, so now I'm 10. Let me not ride over that wave so quickly. That morning at 7.30 in the morning when my dad had to go into my bedroom and tell me, son, we need to talk. Bring me over into there, my parents' bedroom, the smell of coffee the blue skies, all of the Italian side of the family in the kitchen for some odd reason at 7.30 in the morning. I'm nine, I'm sitting on my parents' bed and my dad has to deliver the most horrifying sentence a, a parent can ever give to their only child is that your mom just passed away from breast cancer. I remember, I talk about burning in your mind and the slowing of time. There's a friend of mine called John Coyle, and he does a lot of work on how the neuroscience of slowing time and making summers last forever. Well, this bad memory etched in my brain forever, seared. I remember grabbing the blankets on the bed. I remember ripping them off the bed. I remember screaming at the top of my lungs. I remember all of that. And then I don't remember much after that. I don't remember the funeral. I barely remember the wake. And then there's a blur. I can pause there for a moment. But then the next year, I'm 10 and my dad's mom passed from breast cancer. The next year, my dad is diagnosed with this very strange parotid stage three tumor, parotid gland stage three tumor. He's off to Mayo's. I'm staying at a friend's house. They are authoring the will before he goes into surgery. (laughs) I'm about to be an orphan, perhaps. He made it to 76 years of age, battled through five different cancers, stage four metastatic prostate cancer God. So my team says they can trust in my passion. I absolutely will bring forward the drive and the passion to accomplish the mission. I just have to be careful on how I do it. That's my story. There's many more friends and family who have been impacted. But yeah, I'm a cancer orphan. I'm a cancer orphan. I have no grandparents or parents, and I'm 47 years old. I have no answer on those. (laughs) That's an uncomfortable life. Well, thank you for sharing. I, you know, I knew part of that story, not the whole story and see why you and Jeff have so much in common and why we care about something creates the pathway, if you will, for what we're here to do with that care and find it so interesting that your story 
and different experiences of cancer in, especially at ACS and other cancer organizations around the country are replicated in such good intentions of why we need to do something and why people are united around a shared care. Their experience might be different. Their stories may be different, but ultimately, you know, I think that's the opportunity for, for change. And Jeff would love to, you know, have you comment about, especially when we look at ACS or any other organization, we've worked with a lot of cancer organizations and Jeff, you have a ton of history with cancer personally and professionally around this connected mission, this important cause that we're facing today and how in that spirit of doing such good, how there can also be, I want to say dysfunction or, you know, changing of roles or unmotivated team members, or we're incentivizing the wrong behavior of how do we get to create more impact in the world by well-intentioned leaders saying, we've got to hit these numbers. And yet you've got a team of people that all these different stories of care may not necessarily know how to get to that, that financial metric. And I know I'm kind of weaving things around, but you know, it's a big topic and how we connect mission and culture, how we connect mission and strategy, how do we connect mission and funding is really at the core of the crux of what we're trying to solve. I mean, there, you did just put a lot out there to, we got big steak knives in this group so we can start chewing on it. But I, I think one thing I think you've hit on at the end is a topic we've talked a bunch about, which is, is kind of sacrificing yourself for mission. Is that ultimately what the mission needs? Does mission need sacrifice or does, does mission need service? And it, the two get blended. But I, I want to be maybe before going there, Mike, just personally, first of all, say thank you. And I love you and you're the best. And I knew most of that story. There's a couple bits I didn't and part of the same club, you know, nobody tells you when you're second parentized that you're an orphan and you can feel orphaned when you're 40. What's present for me on the personal thing before we get to culture and mission is, you know, I can also hear the hurt in your voice and the anger in your voice. And man, do I want to reach through the screen and give you a hug. And I think there's something, this time that we're all living through, which has been peaceful for some people and transformative for some people and isolating for many and demoralizing and beyond despair-inducing for many people, there's an anger and a pain there. And I just wonder, like, what was your own healing like? And how do you... And when do you, if you don't mind, and I'm because I'm on this journey myself, is why I'm asking. For many years, my own anger and pain was my motivation. I spoke about it. Jen's heard the speech, you know, I had it and I harnessed it until I realized like it was holding me back. It was it was killing me to be that angry <laughs> for so long. And and I wonder how you navigate that when that mission is all around you and and how do you find the hope through the hurt? You know what I'm asking? Yeah. Quickly, I'll answer how, how, how did my dad help us after that? Well, we went to Disney World and my, all of my mom's <laughs> Sicilian side of the family said he was nuts. <laughs> but ultimately, 
it was the best decision. It was a massive distraction for the moment. After my dad died, I took my best friend for two weeks to Mexico and we went scuba diving and I spread my dad's ashes out in the Gulf of Mexico at sunset. Unplanned. There's no connection there. <laughs> the Gulf of Mexico and scuba diving was not my dad. <laughs> but it, it was a very peaceful, calm transition moment for me. And I, I am at peace knowing that I can go dive in those waters again someday and I will be with him. That's cool. That was, for me, a place to process. And I was with my best friend, Tim. That was equally important. So surrounding myself with some amazing core people in my life, and I would include the ACS family or my prior organization, that family, that has helped. It is, it's therapeutic. Can I take the passion and the drive and accidentally forego strategy, leadership, and well-being? Yes. And I would say to others like you and me, Jeff, and there are many others out there that are listening right now, that we have to channel and focus you know, like Tony Stark, right? The thing in his heart, the Iron Man. We've got to channel that nuclear reactor into the force for good so we can drive strategy, be better leaders, ensure our teams are well right now more than ever so they can continue to achieve and accomplish the mission that they came to this organization for, which is fuel the mission, fund the research, drive patient services and programs, advocate for the best policy to ensure longer, sustainable, make cancer a chronic disease that doesn't have a mortality rate. It's livable. That's where we need to go. And that's where I know that many of my colleagues want us to get there. So how do we as leaders, conscious leaders, especially those like you and I, Jeff, to channel that and make sure we're not leaving a devastating wake in our path. And, and I have to focus on that daily. Well, and I think that's the bridge, Jen, back to where you were going about what I'm curious about. So, so for people listening, this is the end of September. Tonight's the first presidential debate. And I would say just personally, I'm anticipating it with some dread, you know, and I think I see this is a bit of a stretch what I'm going to try to do here, but I see pain all around in people. And I think there's a choice we have to make individually and as a community and as a country about how long we're going to hang on to the pain and how we're, when we're going to turn it into the power center, right? And the link to what Jen was, was teeing up, which, which you've just brought into it, is when we talk about culture with teams, we talk about five dynamics and Mike just named them. And, you know, strategy, leadership, well-being, community funding, but a lot of it starts with well-being. A lot of it starts with helping people feel seen and heard. And in a team setting, helping people be able to tell their story. So it can't be an anchor anymore. It can be a propeller. And I'm, and I'm curious about that now as a citizen at writ large, right? I'm curious about how we all do that together, which doesn't mean papering over problems, by the way. It doesn't mean ignoring things. It means literally slowing down and making sure everybody's okay. 
And I think, Jen, I want to bring you back into it. I think that's where you were going when you, when you kind of turned us to culture and mission, this idea of, you know, not taking advantage of pain, right? But needing to be aware of it so we can help people heal. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of juice in, I think, what, in the conversation of connecting people to make a difference, whatever that difference is. I think we lose sight. There's two themes. One is there's a pressure cooker that many leaders, especially in the social impact sector and nonprofit space, are facing. And we keep seeing this. And it's the pressure of the metric. It's the pressure of the fundraising goal. And that there is a real need to hit a certain dollar amount, if you will, to be able to fund mission, to be able to do what we're here to do. The challenge is, is that we're sacrificing the well-being of ourselves to get there. And then it's a high cost to pay for for layoffs, for turnover, for burnout. And I'm curious in our leadership, whether it's the presidency all the way down to the executive directors, like are we as leaders really able to lead if we are not walking the talk? Like are we really able to help others heal if we're not healing ourselves? Like if we are suffering with pain, what of disconnect of whatever it is that is causing us to feel disconnected or in dis-ease with ourselves, are we able to really lead a high-performing team and or a high-performing culture? And I'm I'm curious about that as that's certainly something that we talked about back in February about really trying to see people not only for their personal connection to mission and how moving it was to hear how the emotional connection that just leveled the playing field, right? And took people out of the intellect of the strategy of how to get to hit a number. It became more human. And I think we just were at this crux of, are we able to lead without having our eyes on multiple, like not just on a number, not just on a metric, not just on a goal. Like how can we really help ourselves, our teams and society heal? Because right now people are hurting and it's showing more than ever in our organizations. So I think that's part of why our work in a realm of well-being matters because we bring our baggage to work. We bring our hurts to work. We bring our stories to fuel our passion. And either it can be additive or, you know. Yeah, now we're bringing our cats, dogs, and children to work as well. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, Jennifer, you're right on. And I'm learning, and I'm only in this role. I mean, I'm not even in a year into this role here at ACS. I've been at ACS for almost four years. My anniversary will be my birthday, November 5th. Big time. Way to sneak that in there, Mike. <laughs> uh, the number of cards you're going to get is just skyrocketing. <laughs> Sorry. But a lot's going to happen right around that time anyways. But so 
if I can, if we can as leaders incorporate these four, I would say the keys prior to funding, that everybody on this team wants to have the end result be to fuel the mission more, to fuel the mission and increase services, opportunities, more research. I would say that every single person I have the luxury and joy of working with in this sector and in this cancer space, I, I can feel they are all walking alongside one another in that, in that effort. But at the same time, creating the culture of a strategy that is with servant leadership that provides care where everyone feels they have the support and they have the opportunity to share feedback and be themselves and vent and disconnect because we're overconnected. If you if we do those things, and this is a great check back to that February retreat, that February workshop. And it's such perfect timing, you guys, for me to be thinking through this. That will drive success. And what does success look like? There is so many things that success looks like. And I can't, and we as leaders can't forget about the personal feeling of being successful, the team feeling of being successful, and what those outcomes are from both the mission side, the mission side of house and how vital they are, and the fundraising side of house and how vital they are. Because without either, this doesn't work. Yeah, I think one point, and then love Jeff for you to expand on this as we kind of explore strategy is that oftentimes, Mike, I'm sure you've seen this, is like strategic direction is typically set by a few people in a boardroom, go away for a few days, create the strategic plan, and then come back and here it is and everybody's got to implement it. When you were just languaging, that people want to be connected. And if we can extract what the insights are from the, the broader team, that can inform how we're different, what makes us unique, how do we you know, stand out according to our competitors? What do we stop doing? This is such a big thing with strategy today is like, especially in the time of COVID, it seems like there's so many equal priorities and equal pressures that what we don't do isn't clarified. What we stop doing isn't discussed. So we just get more piled on. The teams get more work to do in a virtual way. And it just leads to confusion, stress, overwhelm, because now we don't have as many people to do it either with the current state of what's happening. So it it feels like we, you know, certainly this is where we get fired up as more of an inside out approach to strategy, whether it's a strategy for the next three months or strategy for the next three years is a much more inside out collaborative approach that has to be agile because the environment is changing too quickly. So how do you create a core foundational approach in a world where things are really uncertain and guaranteed to change? Guaranteed to change. Jeff, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, I think, I mean, we've teed up like 10 more episodes and I think we're almost at time. I think what what occurs to me is well, so many things, but I, th- I think to, to link what you just said, Jen, back to what Mike said, I think when, when we make success all about a number or a couple numbers, then what happens is we, we only end up valuing the things that can be measured numerically. And 
to try to pull back the COVID experience into the conversation. We're all living through a grand lesson that a lot of that is the least valuable stuff. Some of the most valuable stuff is stuff that you can't put a number on. It's the context around the numbers. It's the inequities in the numbers. It's the reason that you know you wanted to pursue the numbers. And for whatever reason, I, I do think this is not the first time we've said this on the podcast. I think business, although they maybe created this environment that we're all in, I think they're actually leading the way out of it as well. And the more successful businesses seem to be starting to put other things ahead of profit and realizing, whoa, when we do that, profit actually or revenue results. And I think the nonprofit sector should actually be the leader in that effort. We have a nonprofit sector because you can't monetize everything. You can't legislate everything. And we vitally need the sector. And yet, I think, Jen, what you're pointing out is often some of the most hard-nosed, numerically driven, financially ruled people we work with are leading the nonprofits. And it ain't working, you know? And it's not going to work as we go into a fundraising season where the economy's in the worst shape it's been in a hundred years. And I think if we as a sector start to look at it like we always do, like it's a zero sum game and for ACS to raise money, you know, goodwill has to lose money. Like the whole model doesn't work. And I would love to see us start with, there's people who've raised their hands to be part of this sector because they're called like you are, Mike. They're called by a memory of what happened when they were nine years old. So we can't measure that commitment on a set of numbers in Excel. It's not how you do it, but that's how we do it right now. And I'm not sure if I'm making the the connection, Jen, that you wanted me to, but that's what occurs to me now. Exactly. Exactly. Of course we need money for mission. Absolutely. Absolutely, Jeff. I'm I'm with you. And you know, I've met a lot, I will say in the, in the recent time in my role, I have met I met an amazing CFO the other night of a massive organization and his his bio is long and it's unbelievable and and for for me I was taken back by what am I going to even say to this individual it was moments into the meeting Jeff and he is part of our club and that leveled everything for the conversation and there are more and more high-level leaders in the corporate sector that are helping us, though, I will say, drive us in a very good, on a very good path forward that is also incorporating their drive and their passion and their and their stake in the game too. I'm learning a lot on all sides and we've got to be able to, what fits right now and what what is the game, what is the board going to look like in two months, in, in January, and how do we keep driving forward? And, and I will say, how, how do we as leaders now leave a devastating wake in our path? Mm. Well, I think you just framed up our next podcast. <laughs> you got to come back so we can talk about that. I'll be older. <laughs> <laughs> November 5th, for those of you who missed it. <laughs> well, to be continued, Mike, we, we so appreciate. And I, this felt like a 20-minute conversation really would love to continue. There's so much more to talk about and we have such great respect for what you are doing over there and really think fondly of your team. And 
excited to have you back in Park City at Heart Space oh to, my gosh. to come yes. see this winner or whatnot. So and I know you you have the final word, but I just want to mention I appreciate you guys. I appreciate plenty because you push us to think differently. You push us to to get uncomfortable. I like that and I appreciate you for that. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna be reflecting tonight on our conversation and I look forward to uh, watching this again. And if I can leave everyone with one message, just if I can put my ED hat on for a second, please return to care. Mm. And, and when I say that, I mean, go get screened. I mean, tell your family and friends and tell yourself, return to care. And, and that, that's what I'd like to leave you with. Mm. Lovely. Nice message. There's that passion in play. I'm going to be slightly presumptuous and leave you, Mike Zener, with this thought. Your mom's so proud of you. Mm-hmm. So proud of you, man. Don't you do that. <laughs> I hope you know that. I hope you know that. It's true. I hope you know that. I hope you remind yourself every day. Jen, why don't you talk us out since Mike and I are both crying? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's not much more to say than that. That was drop the mic moment. Yeah. And would just say, Jeff, your mom is proud of you too. Amen. Amen. How lucky we are to share these moments of conversation and would just ask your listeners to be real, be you, be vulnerable, and show your care and give that care to yourself, as Mike so eloquently asked. It's a, it's a wonderful action and a great tangible way to show care for ourselves in terms of screening. But we're all precious cargo here on a time where humanity needs us most. And the time to rise is right now, whatever and however that looks. So you can follow us at plentyconsulting.com. We really appreciate you listening to this podcast or checking us out on YouTube if you want to see it on video. Like, subscribe, and share it with your friends. And we'll see you our next time. Thanks all. Be so well. Bye, gang. Be safe. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Join the conversation and learn more at www.plentyconsulting.com.